out there, and thanks for joining us. I'm Dan Roberts, and today we are going to give mothers and motherhood one more think. But before I get started, I just want to say thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to my first episode last week, and a special thank you to all those who gave such warm and encouraging feedback. Uh, it was a great start, and I'm really excited about the episodes to come. So without further ado... Today is Mother's Day, and there is no better thing on earth I could possibly dedicate an episode to than to mothers, to honor the sacrifice and accomplishment of all the women that are mothers and those that someday will be. To start off, I want to talk about the amazing mothers in my own life, as well as some of the women who have been like mothers to me. So of course I have to start with my own mom. My mom married her high school sweetheart, and they lived the suburban American dream for seven years. And then, at age 27, my mom was widowed in a sudden motorcycle accident, and she was left to raise three children by herself. I can only begin to grasp what that must have been like for her to be so young and to have so much responsibility pushed on her so suddenly. As hard as it must have been for her to be grieving the death of her, the love of her life, her high school sweetheart, I do not remember there ever being a period where she was emotionally distant or unavailable. All I can remember is nights when I would cry myself to sleep because I missed my dad, but I would cry myself to sleep in her bed. She was never great at, at expressing herself and talking her way through her feelings. Instead, she expressed her love for us in cuddles and tickles. I don't think any of us had words for the loss we were going through, so we expressed our love and comfort and affection for each other physically. Uh, we were always sitting on top of each other in a pile, watching TV together, snuggled right up to each other. And despite whatever she was going through, she was there for us and was our rock, our emotional foundation. Now, over the years after my father's death, my mom remarried a few times. And with those various stepfathers I had, there were various struggles and problems of their own unique shapes and sizes. The first of those stepfathers that came into the picture was emotionally and verbally abusive. And at a later point, became physically abusive to um, us as children and to my mom. And she tolerated it, as almost all abuse victims do, for the good of the family, because she wanted the kids to have a father. She wanted us to be secure. But then a final line was crossed, and that abuse was directed at my little sister. And that was the last straw for my mom. She filed for divorce, and the divorce proceedings moved forward rapidly. So my mom was once again a single mother, having to provide for now four children, my mom has had to raise two different blended families because her third husband brought four children to the marriage who were already adolescents. Uh, 
and were dealing with their own struggles, some of the, the normal struggles of adolescence, and others were more acutely problematic, I guess I could say. My mom took that all in stride, and it was all part of what she, I think, expected from herself. And she never would have called herself a fantastic mother. She never would have sung her own praises. But through it all, through all of the, you know, being widowed, being divorced multiple times, my mom remained the sole breadwinner for our entire family. So not only was she our emotional foundation and our rock that we could depend upon, the only part of our family that seemed like it was permanent, she was also the provider. And nowadays, I think a lot of people would shame her, would say that she's ne- she was neglecting her children because as of the age of, I think, eight, I was a latchkey kid and would walk home from school on my own, let myself into the house, do my homework and watch some TV until my mom got home hours later and would cook us dinner. In fact, I started cooking dinner for myself probably around 10 because I didn't like waiting until mom got home to eat. That, I think to some, would feel like a failure. But to me and in my eyes, it always felt like she was a hero. And my mom has always felt like a hero to me. Her willingness to to do all of the things to be our emotional rock, as I already said, and to provide for us, to be that one constant that we could count on when everything else seemed to be so temporary. That, for me, is the essence of what a mother is, a permanence. And I don't think any other creation on earth captures that as well as a mother does. So obviously, on Mother's Day, I would be in a lot of trouble if I didn't also talk about how wonderful my own wife is. My wife Donna was raised behind the Iron Curtain in Germany, comes from a completely different culture than me, and grew up never expecting to leave her family. She was the baby of her family. In Germany, they would call that the nesthäkchen, the, the, the final bird to leave the nest. She never wanted to leave her home, to be far away from her own uh, wonderful mother and father. But then I came along, and those plans changed. And my wife performed a level of sacrifice that I don't know that I would have ever been capable of doing myself. She completely uprooted herself from her hometown and moved halfway across the world to be with me. And I was the only person on the continent that she really knew. That's a level of trust and giving that, again, I feel is particular to womankind and especially particular to mothers. My wife grew up always dreaming of having enough children that we as a family could compose a full soccer team. And if you're not familiar with soccer, that's 11 people, so nine children. Obviously, this was a childhood dream of hers and never really practical, but that's what she wanted. She always wanted a large family. 
But that is not what we got. We experienced 13 years of infertility. And every month of those 13 years that went by was its own new heartache for my wife and I, but particularly for her. This dream that she had her entire life of raising so many children and having this large, full, noisy, bustling household was never fulfilled. And she had to pull herself together every month and continue to continue. I think we did a decent job of it. We did as best as we could. But she very rarely let the pain show. All the while we were going through this, my wife was my sugar mama. She was my provider and my support financially while I was going through college. The, uh, the few part-time jobs I had at a sandwich deli or a call center were not impressive. But my wife, as practical and as intelligent as she is, managed to not only pay for my tuition, but she also managed to get a job for the college I was attending so that I would get a discount on tuition. And if that's not the most quintessentially Donna thing in the world, I don't know what is. She was my anchor and my foundation, and she remains that to this day. When we finally did have children, I got to see the side of her that is a mother. And I marvel at her skill and ability as a mother every day. She's gentle, but firm. She's a teacher. Now in, with the coronavirus, she's much more of a teacher than she ever thought she could be. But she has risen to every challenge that motherhood has thrown at her both the positive challenges of being a mother, but also the negative challenges of wanting to be a mother and having that desire thwarted. She's unsinkable. In a lot of ways, she's very much like my own mom in that way. I've never seen her be defeated. I've seen her be discouraged. I've seen her be sad. But she deals with problems on a daily basis that I wouldn't even begin to know how to deal with my uh, on my own and I find that truly remarkable along the way my wife and I were blessed with another kind of mom a kind of mom we had never really known about certainly never been impacted by in our own lives and that mom of course is our own angel birth mother our oldest child um, our son who's eight years old was adopted and we have an open adoption with his birth mom, and she is a wonderful friend. We, we count ourselves blessed to even know her, let alone to be given the opportunity to raise the child that she brought to, the, that she brought to life. The special selflessness of a birth mom in an adoption is unparalleled in the entire earth. To make a decision to benefit three people at her own tremendous cost is divine. It is superhuman. Because she was not able to raise her son. And she knew that. She recognized it, that her situation was not right. She chose to place her son for adoption, and she selected us as the family. 
that is a level of selflessness that I can only, only hope that I can someday achieve myself. I still struggle to imagine how she came to the decision, how she would, was able to trust us enough to give us this tremendous gift, how she was able to love her son enough to give him the family that she couldn't provide. It's miraculous. And I'm stunned by it every time I, I think about her and talk to her. We love her so completely. We literally feel like she is an angel. She's the the tool in the hands of God to answer a prayer that we said for 13 years. We are also very blessed to have such a good relationship with her, that we have an open adoption. We talk to her routinely. She has come out to visit us at our home. She has babysat our son on multiple occasions, and they have a wonderful, warm relationship. And you know, I'll probably talk about open adoption in another episode more fully because I'm such a huge fan of the entire process of open adoption. Another mom that I need to talk about is my mother-in-law, Rosie. Rosvita Berthold is her actual name, but everybody calls her Rosie. For me, she is an example of, she's the living definition of stoicism and being tough without being hard. She has suffered so many physical setbacks and illnesses and injuries, but she never complains or gives a sign of her own suffering. She might tell her husband or some of her close friends when she's in pain, but she never lets on to any of us. Instead, she busies herself about taking care of us. She's a fantastic cook. And every time we go to visit her, that's what she does. She cooks and hosts and entertains. And any attempt that we make to get her to sit down and let us take care of her so that she can rest and get off of her arthritic knees and her broken hips, she absolutely refuses. She takes a tremendous amount of pride in her role of making others feel loved and welcomed. And nothing against my father-in-law. He's a wonderful man in his own right. But that is not his role. That is Rosie's job. And she does it fantastically well, and she's very proud of it. And I deeply admire her for that, for her ability to be so incredibly strong and tough and to keep her own concerns off of the radar so that they don't distract from somebody else's good time. Quite often, I, I will complain to her that she does that, that she lets other people relax while she's working too hard. And she'll just cluck her tongue at me or, you know, smile and pat me on the shoulder and go back into the kitchen and get me some more food. So she's kind of incorrigible that way, but also adorable. I've been blessed to have a lot of women in my life who took something like a mother role. And one of the other ones I want to talk about is a woman named Mrs. Springer, who was my honors English teacher in ninth grade. She was the first teacher who saw potential in me beyond average and who insisted that I rise to that potential. She refused to accept mediocre work from me. And when she could tell that I had written an assignment very quickly, uh, one time she returned an assignment to me ungraded. And she said, 
pulled me aside after class and said, if anybody else in the class had turned this in, I would have given them a B. But because this is you, I know you can do better. And I also know that you wrote this this morning, which was true. I had written it that morning while eating breakfast. She said to me, I want you to turn it around and actually give a real effort. And I'm going to grade you based on how well you could write. Because if this is all you give me, I'm going to give it an F. And that was a wake up call. So I took the paper home and I rewrote it. And she did give me the grade according to my effort. And when I really worked on it, she showed me that I'm capable of something special. She later on took the, the end result of, the, of that project and submitted that paper to a competition for a statewide newspaper short story writing contest, which I went on to win. It was because of her, because of her refusing to accept anything less than an excellent effort from me, that I learned what it took to access my own potential and to rise beyond my own internal limitations. I've had so many fantastic women in my life who have been like mothers to me. I could go on for a long time. Now, as a psychotherapist, one of the greatest tragedies that I see are the issues that women are particularly vulnerable to. It seems like a huge injustice to me that part of what makes them so remarkably incredible also makes mothers remarkably vulnerable to several particular mental health challenges. As superhuman as mothers may be, they have a kryptonite, and it is very real. There's a tendency towards depression and anxiety at a chronic level. There's the inborn fear and worry about their children, which is an honest worry. It's, it's not pathological. It's probably just part of the job. But it's in part of that worry, there's also this tendency to feel judged and to take the opinions of others, even wild strangers, far too seriously and be overly concerned about how everyone else thinks they are doing in this job of mother. One of the difficulties is that there is no authoritative definition of what a good mother is. But there are so many people out in the world who are trying to tell mothers everywhere what good looks like. And they don't couch their opinions by saying, I might be wrong about this, or this is just me talking. It all is couched in the language of authority and, declare, and declaration, like it's scientific, leaving a lot of women to think that if they haven't done everything on the list of whatever magazine article or Facebook post or blog, if they haven't done everything on the list, then there must be something wrong with them as mothers. And I think all people do this, but mothers are particularly prone to it. Because there is no way of knowing until your children are fully grown whether you are raising them well or not. And even then, it's still up to speculation. It's a thankless job. One that you never finish doing. One that you never know for sure that you did right. So many misgivings and uncertainties come with the territory of being a mother. So the question then becomes, where can a mother look for confirmation and approval that she might be doing a good job? Well, certainly not to the world, right? The world, in quotations, has taken an increasingly dim view 
on motherhood and kind of devalued the entire institution of motherhood wholesale. I know a lot of stay-at-home moms who, when, when they tell people what they do, right, when that question comes up, and they say, I'm a stay-at-home mom, they say it almost with some embarrassment, as if it's a, a bad thing to be or an insufficient thing to be. And that alone is incredibly unfortunate. How could we get to a point where the creation of a human being is less important than working at a cash register at a store somewhere? That is completely upside down to me. It's never made any sense. And I desperately wish that the people who were actively involved, stay-at-home moms and stay-at-home dads, could take a greater measure of pride in the thing that they focus their effort on all day long. I'm a psychotherapist. I'm proud of what I do for a living. But it pales in comparison to what my wife does for a living. My wife is making humans. I don't do that. I'm incapable of that. I would recommend that instead of looking to the world and whatever standards are out there on whatever magazine you might pull off the shelf, that instead you look to the mothers that you know yourself, the ones that you love and respect, the matriarchs of your own circle. How do you think they are doing as mothers? Seek their approval and guidance. Come to them for advice because they understand the nuances of the world you are from and you are in. They're close to you. They're from your own circle. They would understand much better than any blind stranger could ever possibly hope to. Also, avoid TV and social media. The TV doesn't know you and it's not speaking to you. It's speaking to a theoretical target audience that will never accurately reflect you or your situation. Social media is full of parasites, trolls, and schadenfreude, and only occasionally has well-intentioned advice, and it's hard to tell the difference. So ignore the posts written by other people about their lives. Seek instead direct guidance from real people that you really know. The people that are actually invested in your life are much more likely to tell you how they think you're really doing And they also have actual information about how well you're doing. So my personal belief about mothers is that motherhood is probably the highest possible achievement of humanity. It's the creation of a person is a miracle. And the raising of a person is a heroic effort. Now, just a little bit about adoption and birth moms, because this is so near and dear to my heart. I just want to make sure that I put it out there. Women who place their children for adoption are moms. Just because they weren't in a situation where they could raise their children, they still created that life, brought that child to the world. And that deserves to be recognized and honored. The idea that anybody would ever tell our birth mom that she is not a mom breaks my heart. We wouldn't have had our son without her. And anybody that brings a life to this world has earned that title. So, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there who are or who someday will be mothers. Happy Mother's Day to all the women who don't want to be mothers, but contribute to the well-rounded development of their nephews and nieces and their friends' children. You women are incredibly special and incredibly powerful. 
in ways that I, as a man, deeply admire, wish I could emulate, but no, I can't. And that's okay. I'll learn to live with that. I have learned to live with it. I hope you're all having a fantastic Mother's Day and that you've been celebrated in a way of your own choosing that is worthy of your contribution. It is so easy for mothers to feel judged, to feel inadequate, to feel unworthy. And I would simply say as a therapist that those who are making you feel that way are themselves unworthy and inadequate. That's everything for today. I thank you very much for joining us uh, again for the second episode of One More Think. I would really appreciate any feedback that any, any of you might have. And for that end, I have started a new email account, which is one more think podcast at gmail.com. If there's anything you would like to hear me talk about, a topic that you'd like to hear a therapist's perspective on, please shoot me an email. I would like this podcast to eventually have me reading uh, specific messages from listeners to answer your questions directly. So please, if you're interested, drop me a line. But that's all for today. Thank you for listening. Let's take care of each other. Mm-hmm.